Welcome to the Lubar Executive Education Podcast. In this episode, we'll be talking about public speaking and making the most of the time you have to present your thoughts and ideas to the C-suite and board of directors. With me today is Brendan Kamarasamy. Brendan is the founder of MasterTalk, where he coaches ambitious executives and entrepreneurs to become top 1% communicators in their industry. He also has a popular YouTube channel called MasterTalk with the goal of providing free access to communication tools for everyone in the world. Welcome, Brendan. It's great to have you here with me today. Mike, it's a pleasure. It's absolutely mine. Thanks for having me. Let's start off with probably the most obvious question, which is why do so many people struggle with public speaking? Absolutely. And it's a question I do get a lot. The reason is actually really simple if you think about it. Where did we learn how to communicate? Where did we learn how to give presentations? And the answer, Mike, is school. More specifically, elementary school, middle school, high school. This is where we learn the habit of giving presentations. But here's the punch, Mike. All of those presentations have three things in common. Number one, they're all mandatory. We don't wake up one morning and say, hey, Mike, you want to get breakfast and present all day? Says nobody ever. That's problem number one. Problem number two is all of those presentations, you never get to pick the topic. It's never, hey, Mike, what are you passionate about? What do you care about? No, it's more about you got to talk about Shakespeare and you don't really have a choice in the matter. Not very encouraging. And number three, which is the worst one of all, is every single presentation in the early days of our education is tied to a punishment. So if you don't do well, you don't get a pat on the back. You get, you get a massive slap on the wrist and you lose 30% of your mark. So we see communication as a chore, Mike, as something we don't want to do. And that's why we struggle with it. I've never really looked at that that way, but reflecting as you're talking about this makes total sense. So now that we understand a little more about why people are struggling, in your opinion, what's the biggest challenge with public speaking that people should be concentrating on? A lot of people think it's fear, and fear is a component to public speaking. But to be honest, fear is never going to go away, even for me. Even given the clients I have and the people I coach, if Elon Musk called me one day while we were having lunch, Mike, and he said, hey, I've been seeing your YouTube videos, really good stuff. Can you coach me? Yeah, I'd probably be a little bit scared. I'd probably be a little bit worried. So it's not about the fear, but rather the motivation. So here's a question to think about, Mike. How would your life change if you became an exceptional communicator? Or in the context of our executives who are listening to this, how would your career change if you became an exceptional communicator? Start to dream about your communication skills so you can actually get excited by it. Let me give you an example. Let's say somebody listening to this is a vice president or a director and they want to get into the C-suite. Let's say that's their goal. They want to go into, they want to be a CFO, a CMO, COO, regardless of what the title is. If you look at the people who have those positions right now and go look at their communication skill, when you start to think about it from that angle, you realize there's a gap between where you are and what that, how that C-level executive is communicating. And you need to fill that gap as quickly as possible. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And when you look at some of those really great leaders, their communication is crisp, it's clear. You understand it first time you hear it, and a lot of people do struggle with that. So if somebody does have a presentation coming up and it's an in-person presentation, how should they go about preparing and practicing and what type of time investment should they be looking to make? Absolutely, Mike. So super simple. I call this the jigsaw puzzle method. So I'm sure a lot of us who are listening to this have you know, played with puzzles in the past, you know, those little toy pieces used to do together. So the question is simply this. 
when we work on a jigsaw puzzle, which pieces do we start with first? Most of us tend to answer the edges, right? Because they're easier to find in the box. You kind of just pick them up. Yeah. You put them all together. And then you work your way into the middle. But here's the thing, Mike. We don't do that in the context of presentations. Most of us, when we have a meeting with the board, we have a working presentation, what do we do? We shove a bunch of things in the middle. We start the middle first. We shove, shove, shove. Okay, I need to get this financial statement. I need to get this. I need to get this. I need to get this. And then when we get to that presentation, whether it's in front of a steering committee, in front of a judges, in front of you know the executive education board, you're just rambling throughout the whole presentation versus tackling it like a jigsaw puzzle. The next time you're preparing a speech, start with the edges first. That means practice your introduction 50 times. Don't practice anything else, just the introduction. And you'll get so good at giving introductions that you'll sweep the feet out of any audience you speak to. Do the same thing with the close. Do the close 50 times and then tackle the middle. And that's how most of us should be preparing presentations, especially as executives, because the most important slide in any presentation at that level is the executive summary slide. You need to give more thought to how you summarize your entire 20-minute presentation than you do with the presentation itself. I learned some of those lessons the hard way myself. And as someone who also gets nervous for public speaking, practicing that intro is so crucial so you can get off to that good start. And I usually find once I'm off and running, the nervousness goes away and then I'm just kind of thundering away with here's my points and here's my uh, analysis and recommendations. So now that a lot of work is done remotely, People need to be adept at delivering presentations online, especially executives. We can't always be in the boardroom. We can't always be together. In addition to some of the best practices you shared already for those in-person presentations, what advice do you have for people who have to make presentations via Zoom, WebEx, Microsoft Teams, what have you? Absolutely, Mike. So the advice would be the same, practice puzzle, do the same methodology, but the context will be different. So what does that mean? There's three key differences between online and in-person. Let's tackle them. The first one is eye contact. So when you're in a board meeting and you're talking to six to eight executives or C-levels, you have to move your head during the presentation to look at each of them in the eye. But online, you don't have to do that. Whether you're speaking to one person or 10,000, you only have to look in one place, frankly, which is the camera lens. That's it, right? So if you look at the camera lens, you're fine. That's number one. Number two is energy. At the end of the day, let's face it, Mike, it's a lot easier to show up with energy when we're in person, when we're in the boardroom. So what's the point here? The point is try and bring more of the energy that you would have in person into virtual. So it took me a long time, even for me, to communicate as if I've known you for 10 years, to communicate as if you're right next to me and it takes practice, even if I'm technically alone in my basement right now as I'm talking to you. So that would be my second piece of advice bring more energy in the real world and transfer some of that energy back online. And finally, number three, accessibility specifically to your audience. If you want feedback from the people you're presenting to in person, Mike, you can just get coffee with them right after. Super simple. There's no friction. But in an online presentation, there's a ton of friction. It's really hard to talk to the audience, get their feedback, especially on -on one-on-one conversation. It's not as organic. So you need to force those interactions. You need to get on calls with people in the audience if it's a high stakes presentation. And ideally, you want to bring those relationships offline and have lunch with them. I like what you're saying there. And the the accessibility is key. And I used to work for a leader who talked about 
good meeting or a good presentation starts early and it never ends. So uh, it really just echoes a lot of what you're talking about there. One of the specific challenges I've seen and run into many times myself is that when you're scheduled for, say, 15 minutes to present to senior leadership and you get there, you're told you have five minutes, which I've also learned really means you probably have about three. I've seen some people roll with that change real well, truncate the message and get through what they needed to. And then I've also seen some others plow through their whole presentation that they had planned and they take a lot more time than even maybe originally allotted. What do you recommend people do when they're caught in this situation? Absolutely, Mike. So this is my my principle in life. And I got this from a Navy SEALs. He says, he says this, we never rise to the level of the occasion. We always default to the level of our training. So I repeat that one again. We never rise to the level of the occasion. We always default to the level of our training. So what does that mean in the context of your question? What that means is that the executives were in, as I define, the top 1% communicators in their industry, regardless of the industry, whether it's manufacturing, whether it's dental hygiene, whether it's accounting, those people prepare as if their life depended on it, especially for the high stakes meetings. You obviously can't do this with every single meeting. You got to know what the 80-20 principle is. You have a lot of priorities, but for the ones that really can make or break your career and really help you propel yourself, you want to make sure to stand out in those types of situations. So what does that mean? That means having multiple versions of the same presentation and you start with the shortest one first because it's often what it defaults to. It's rare where a CEO is going to be like, you know, I know we said five minutes, but I'll actually give you 30. It's never the other way around. It's usually the opposite. Okay, it's 30, but it actually is five. So what does that mean? That means start with the smallest available time and increase it over time. So that means figure out what's the three-minute version of your presentation, what's the five-minute, what's the 10-minute, and what's the 15-minute, right? I call this three, five, 10. So you, f- you figure out what's the three-minute version, the five-minute version, the 10-minute version, so that regardless of what happens, you're already prepared for any possible situation that come up, which means you'll be bulletproof when the time comes. Yeah, there's no substitute for some good preparation and practice as well. Absolutely. Another challenging situation that you can find yourself in as a leader is when you have to be part of a group presentation. What best practices have you seen and do you recommend for people presenting as a group? Absolutely. So a couple of pet peeves I got with group presentations. Let's let's go through them since I I feel a lot of people in the executive education space are are doing case competitions, which is something I, I used to do when I was at university. So a couple of thoughts. Number one, even when you're not speaking, you are speaking. What does that mean? That means let's say we're in an in-person call or a virtual call and your colleague is talking and you're kind of just looking at the sky, you're wondering what's for lunch, you're actually speaking because you're telling the audience that, by the way, my colleague over there that I spent three months working with, I don't care what she has to say, so you shouldn't care either. That's basically what you're telling the audience. So even when you're not speaking, Mike, you're still speaking. That means pay attention, nod smile, especially in the context of case studies where somebody gives out a solution and you're nodding. You're not going, oh my God, why are we bringing up the solution? Because then you're killing the credibility of what you have to say or what your team has to say. That's point number one. Point number two is realize that you're only as strong as your weakest link, which means that if one person screws up a presentation, the whole group drowns with everyone else. So what does that mean? That means as the person listening to this podcast, as the person who's taking initiative to make yourself better, I hereby call you the leader of your team because you're the person who's the most informed. So what does that mean? As the leader of your team, and you have my permission to be that, 
because you're the person listening to this, you need to take it upon yourself to present the hardest parts of your presentation. That means you need to understand everyone's strengths and weaknesses and quickly allocate the presentation parts that they're the most comfortable and you just take the hardest stuff. That's what you should do. And that's what I always did when I was doing case competitions so that we'd always be perfect as a group. And finally, number three, Q&A. A lot of people think Q&A doesn't matter. Q&A is actually more important than presentation. Why? Because if you start contradicting yourselves in a Q&A, the whole presentation blows up. It's as if you never gave the presentation. So what does that mean? There's a couple of strategies that work. One team in Sweden that I saw once who, who studied in Lund at the University of Lund with their, for their MBA programs taught me a very fascinating way of dealing with Q&A that I use to this day. And it's called the Q&A master. So what does that mean? That means one person who is the best at answering questions often takes the hardest question. So usually what happens, let's say a judge, an executive, somebody asks a question, all the Q&A master does is he looks at everyone else in the room and whoever has their hands in front of their bodies wants to answer the question. And whoever has their hands behind their back doesn't want to answer the question. It's very subtle. Nobody realizes it except for the, for the team. So what the Q&A master simply does, especially if the team is new and you're just getting chemistry and you don't know yet, you just look at the team members and you just split the questions evenly. So you just say something like, Sarah, go for it. And then Sarah answers the question. Oh, Joe, take this one. So that way the questions are being filtered really quickly to the person who's going to answer it. So people aren't talking over each other. And then if the Q&A master looks at the three people and nobody has their hands open, then you answer the question. That is really sage advice. I love that. And I'm going to use that going forward uh, when we're teaching some of our executives and when we're having them do group presentations. Just a quick follow-up on that. Say you have maybe four or five people in your group and you've only got maybe seven, eight minutes to do a presentation. Does everybody speak or not? How many people should be talking? Great question, Mike. And the answer, as you probably know, is it really depends on the context of the deal. I'll give you the one that I have the most expertise in, which is consulting deals when somebody does an RFP or an orals presentation. So it really entirely depends on the audience, the client. What does that person actually want? So for example, and especially for those types of meetings, you're generally spending hours talking to the client, getting their POV, POV just means point of view, before you go into the meeting. So I'll give you an example. In that specific context, let's say at IBM, where I used to work, it's important for clients to hear from the technical expert on some specific modules that they're implementing, let's say, and they're selling to the client, because they want to have a feeling that they know what they're talking about. Even if they're not necessarily selling the deal, it's really the sales partner, the person who's driving the client relationship. They still want to hear from that technical SME because the curse on the client side is very technical. Is going, does this person actually know what they're talking about? Yeah, I get it. Yeah, this guy's good. He's high level. He's a good sales guy. But I want to hear from the technical person too, to make sure that the deal gets done and gets delivered and fulfilled properly. So the expectation of every client, every situation is going to depend. So I would say in general, if the person is standing in that presentation, there's probably a reason they're standing, which means they have to say something or else it sounds awkward. But if that person isn't actually key to the deal, they shouldn't even be in the presentation and they should just answer Q&A and sit on the benches. That's what I would say. If people want to get better delivering presentations and communicating in general, they obviously need to do some regular practice. Uh, what are some things they can do to keep improving those skills on a continuous basis uh, so they are ready when that once or twice a year opportunity comes to be in front of senior leadership? 
Absolutely, Mike. So I call this my easy threes. If you do these three things on a consistent basis, you'll easily blow out 95% of the people in your industry because most of the VPs I work with don't do a combination of all three of these things. Okay, so let's start with the number. And they're easy, by the way. These are not difficult. So they're very easy to implement, even if you only have five minutes in a day. So the first one is the random word exercise. All you have to do is you pick a random word like phone, like camera, like tissue box, and you create presentations out of thin air. And I already know the objection that comes to mind. Well, Brett, this is childish. Why would I talk about tissue box if I'm a vice president at Salesforce? How does it make any sense? I'll, I'll sell it to you right now, Mike. What I always tell my VPs is if you can make sense out of nonsense, you can make sense out of anything. So when you, when you get into situations at work, like the ones you described so well in this interview, where people are saying, hey, you have three minutes now, you can adapt quickly to those very fast to those situations because you talked about avocados this morning. You're talking about nonsense. So if you go back to Salesforce, you know what you're talking about. You know the product inside out. It's not changing on a day-to-day basis. You'll quickly be able to adapt. So I found the VPs who take this exercise seriously and don't see it as childish, but rather as a way to make themselves stand up from the pack. They do this with their kids, their nieces, their nephews. Those people just blow out their competition easily, especially in a technical field like Salesforce or tech. That's number one. Second thing to do, question drills. The world will always ask us questions, Mike, whether it's from our executive professors, whether it's from our execs at work, steering committees, our family. Hey, did you take out the trash? We're always constantly getting asked questions. So here's a strategy to make you bulletproof in the boardroom. All you have to do, and it only takes five minutes a day, be proactive. Reflect on one question you think an audience is going to ask you about your work, about your career, or about your business, and find an answer to that question. So write out the answer. If you do that for five minutes every day, Mike, for a year, only for five minutes, you'll have answered 365 questions about your expertise. No executive I've coached in the history of my career, I've been doing this for seven years now, nobody has done this exercise over a hundred times, but it doesn't take that long to do it. So it's an easy way to stand out from any other exec that you're up against or you're working with in your organizations. And finally, number three, it's so simple, Mike, that nobody does this. So let's say I'm in a crowd of executives, which is, seems to be the case here. And I always ask them, how long have you worked in corporate? They go 13 years, 15 years, seven years. And I go, how many times in your career have you been sent a 20 second video? Nothing crazy from a supervisor or a manager, just wishing you happy holidays. Hey, Mike, just want to say, I really appreciate the work that you're doing in the company. I love the report you sent us last week. Just wanted to wish your family happy holidays. And they always answer zero. What if you were the executive who sent a small video to the 20, the 30, the 50 people that you're managing, depending on the, the size of your company? What if you were that person? Imagine the loyalty, the retention you would get from those team members. And that would be number three. If you do all three, you'll be invincible. That's all three powerful things. I, I really like the random word exercise. And we talk a lot about things like that when we talking about innovation. And one of our instructors really recommends doing a lot of improv. So kind of similar where your brain is ready at any moment for just about anything. And when you practice it. All right. Well, before we bring this episode to a close, what final advice do you have for our audience about being better presenters and communicators? Absolutely. It always goes back to this question, Mike. How would your career change if you became an exceptional communicator? A lot of us dream about the vacations we want to go on, the expensive boats, things, cars that we want to buy. When was the last time? 
we dreamed about our communication skills. So for those of you who are really serious, really reflect on this question. Don't just sidestep it. Take 10 to 15 minutes outside of this interview and just ask yourself, how would my career change? And that's when the insights start coming. Example, you might say, hmm, you know, the CEO at my company communicates really well. And even if I want this person's career, I want this person's work experience, I should ask myself, what do I need to do to get to that level of communication? And that's where you get the result that you're looking for. Brendan, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to be on the show and sharing your thoughts and advice and some things we can do every day to get better. If any of our listeners are interested in learning more from you, where can we point them to? Absolutely, Mike. What a fascinating conversation. Thanks so much for having me. This is great. So two easy ways to keep in touch. The first one is check out my YouTube channel, Master Talk in one word. You'll have access to hundreds of free videos on how to communicate ideas effectively. And the second way, for those of you who are interested in, in watching me coach other people live, and you can join in on these calls over Zoom, I do one every few weeks, and it's free. All you have to do is register for one at rockstarcommunicator.com. All right. Well, great. I will put that link to rockstarcommunicator.com in the show notes, as well as the link to Master Talk. A lot of great stuff out there. So thanks for sharing that with everybody. In closing, I'd like to take a moment to thank our listeners. We wish you the best of luck as you move forward on your leadership journey. Please check back regularly for additional episodes.